0: Welcome to Chit Chat Money. My name is Ryan Henderson, and I am joined by my co-host, Brett Schaefer, as always. Today, we've got our Thursday deep dive interview where we interview an analyst to discuss a single stock or industry. And today we have on the show now recurring guest, Jim Gillies. And we're talking about sort of an obscure or slightly kind of limited following financials company. And he wanted me to make sure it was clear that this is kind of high risk, high reward. So um, maybe not uh, some of the typical investments that he's brought to the table before, um, a little more on the speculative side, um, but it is TFS financial. Um, and he talks through, uh, he outlines basically everything that could go wrong and everything that could potentially go right. Um but yeah, Jim's an awesome investor. We have gotten a lot of ideas from him over the years, and he's really kind of helped us grow as as investors in general. So uh, really hope you enjoy this interview. I guess without further ado, here's our discussion with Jim Gillies. Welcome to Chit Chat Money. On this show, host Ryan Henderson and Brett Schaefer interview industry experts and riff on the world of investing. As a quick reminder, Chit Chat Money is a CCM Media Group podcast. Ryan and Brett are also general partners at Arch Capital, and Arch Capital may have positions in the securities discussed in this podcast. Anything discussed on Chit Chat Money by Ryan or Brett or any other podcast guests is not formal advice or recommendation. Now please enjoy this episode. Welcome in. Today we are joined by five-time, six-time, seven-time guest, somewhere in there, multi-recurring guest at this point, Jim Gillies. He is the lead advisor at Hidden Gems Canada for The Motley Fool. Um, If you are interested, after this episode, more of uh, Jim's work, we've done a number of different episodes, including Windmark, Nelnet, who else am I? Forget a petrol, uh, international petroleum. Uh, yeah, RCI hospitality. I think RCI. Uh, yeah. So we've done a, we've done a number of episodes with Jim, and today we are talking about um, another potential hidden gem. And I, when when I was messaging with Jim, he said I've got a fun one that's high risk, high reward potentially here. So um, it's called TFS Financial. Maybe. Can you start? You know, I'm I'm curious how you found this. So, so how did you even come across this to begin with? Uh, I've owned it for a while personally. Um,
1: uh, I think uh, the former fool Jim Royal put me onto it years ago. Um, and I I do want to proviso. This one, uh, this could be a really really bad idea. This could blow up spectacularly. Not because from the business I don't want, and this uh, you know, but. But because we are in the middle of what I've been calling a um, a slow moving banking crisis, Silicon Valley Bank says high. right? And and the problem with banking is it's a confidence game, not like in the sense that it's you know like, uh, like a scam or something like that. But 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 banks if banks have have the confidence of their depositors and the confidence of investors, you know they they tend to be a pretty good business. But if uh, you all have heard of a bank run, if people decide that, oh, the bank, the bank's going to close tomorrow and they all run to get their money out today and banks run levered, these things go boom. So, so TFS can be the most magically wonderful run bank in the universe. It isn't, but, you know, it's not badly run. Um, but if the confidence were to evaporate, bye bye. So, right. just, you know, fair fair dues warning, right? You know, but they they can't all be uh, they can't all be uh, fun things like Nelnet or uh, or uh, RCI Hospitality.
2: Yeah, um, you're really trying to drive some virality here with this episode for us, right? <laughs> yeah. I,
1: I just I just want to I want people to understand. So, and I'll, I'll put it out here, and, I, and I'll flesh in the story a little bit. Um, somebody, and it might be me. Somebody has this one really wrong. Okay, so uh, where to begin about TFS? Okay, well, so TFS. Oh, go ahead.
0: Uh, yeah, so, I mean, I don't know. Maybe some history is important here. I know we're uh, going to talk you're about gonna that gonna in get a second, some history.
1: But... <laughs> <laughs> you are going to get some history. Um, okay, so uh, TFS is eighty-five years old founded in 1938 at the tail end of the great depression by Mr. and Mrs. Ben and Jerome Stefanski. Okay. Uh, they are basically collecting deposits from their Eastern European immigrant neighbors in Cleveland, Ohio, uh, kind of, at, like I said, at the tail end of the great depression. Uh, the GI bill post-World war II, comes along. Like I'm literally going to give you a history. Um, the GI bill, Comes along, uh, made, you know, everyone wants a house, everyone returning from war wants a house. Interest rates are kept super low to spur that. And it's it's a great time. It's a good time to buy a house. Uh so you know, the 50s, 60s, 70s, here's TFS. They're expanding their uh their savings and loan business, they're opening branches around in and around the Cleveland suburbs. By the way, all my notes are on this screen, so that's why I'm always continuously looking off here because um, I realize you're videoing this and I'm going to look like I'm staring in my corner most of the time. Um, but, you know, basically what they're trying to do is they're providing home mortgages for, you know, Clevelandites, right? Cool. Great. Uh, 50 years go by, five zero, And Ben Stefanski, a now adva- highly advanced in age Ben Stefanski, is succeeded at the helm of the family business by his son Mark in 1987, and but they keep on doing what they're doing. Uh, Twenty years into Mark Stefanski's tenure, he decides to go public. Now, this company is not public in the sense that you guys think, um, or what we what we tend to think of as as a just a. Typical public company, IPO, take the capital, use it for growth purposes or cash out insiders or whatever. No, um, TFS is what's called a mutual association. Have I lost you at this point?
2: (laughs) Well, I think uh, there's a quote, maybe just to spur some more discussion on this from there. I think it was... in. They have it all throughout their investor relations page. It says on September 30th, 2021, approximately 81% of the holding company's outstanding shares were owned by a federally charted mutual holding company. Mm-hmm. And they talk about the difference between book value for minority shareholders and book value for mutual owners. So I haven't seen that before. I don't think a lot of listeners have seen that before. So what's what's the difference? Well,
1: and, and realize that is going to, if you were like say screening for financials, this one, this one looks awful or not awful, but it doesn't look great. And I'll, I'll skip to evaluation portion here if I were to. Uh, a, a typical screener right now today would say that this thing is trading, this bank is trading at uh, 1.84 times book value and 43 times earnings. Who is excited about a bank at 43 times earnings and 1.84 times book value, right? Except that's not real and I'm gonna explain why. So, and it comes down to this: is a mutual, this is a mutual association. Okay, um, mutual association is this, it's a financial institution that takes in deposits and lends them out. So, for a mutual association, deposits don't just represent the savings of its depositors; they also represent ownership stakes in the mutually owned institution. Okay, so uh, i i mean, you guys are a lot younger than I am. Uh, you ever seen It's a Wonderful Life? Okay, so, you know, great movie. great movie, great movie. Uh but the evil villainous Mr. Potter during the bank run where, you know, the the long suffering and self-sacrificing George Bailey and his wife give the $2,000 they've in 1946 by the way, the $2,000 they've saved for their honeymoon, they use it to to backstop the bank, right? And at the same time, you know, some rando from the town runs in and says, "Mr. Potter, the evil villainous Mr. Potter, of course." Spoiler, but you know it isn't almost uh, what.
0: It's just misunderstood. Uh, he's a misunderstood it's a misunderstood 70, capitalist, seventy-five
1: year. Yeah, exactly. It's a seventy-five-year-old movie. I don't think I need to give a spoiler warning for that, um, or whatever it is, seventy-five years or something like that. But anyway, Pot, he comes and says, uh, "Mr. Potter is uh, paying fifty cents on the dollar." You know, uh, for for the town's folks deposits, and a bunch of people run, and you know, but but he's doing so. And it's better to get 50 cents than nothing if the bank runs out of money because, of course, banks are unleveraged. Um, He's doing so to gain control because your deposits also represent an ownership stake in the business. So he's trying to get control of the bank to kill it. He's trying to get control of the Bailey building alone to kill it. Um, and so basically, key takeaway, depositors of a mutual thrift are also its owners. OK, so. If you want to grow, essentially a mutual thrift is basically limited. It has you have your you have your deposits and you have any retained earnings you've built up over time. Um, but if you want to go public, what the the US Federal Reserve will allow a thrift to what's called either partially or fully convert to a more traditional stock issuing stock holding corporation. And it's what's called a partial conversion. Or a second-step conversion or a two-step demutualization, if I haven't lost you yet, I'm about to. Uh, the thrift sells a minority stake in the bank, the shares of which become publicly traded and are what we all you know, know and love of the shares. The rest of the shares are assigned to a new mutual holding company, let's call that an MHC, which represents the interests of the depositors and the owners, so the MHC shares they are effectively unissued they count as shares outstanding which is why those valuation ratios the book value per share trading at 1.8 times book value trading at 43 times earnings they count for accounting purposes but they've not actually been issued yet they're just held at the MHC and in fact if they were issued they you would sell them at the current stock price which you know in this case would have you know, in in theory, and I'll explain why they you would just have you would have TFS here basically drowning in cash if they sold those things because at this point, I'll get to that. Um basically MHC shares effectively unissued. They count as shares outstanding, but they've not been issued. They haven't actually been sold. They don't actually have a claim on the earnings uh if uh, the company, if the the thrift pays a dividend, which which TFS does. Um the MHC traditionally waives the right to receive the dividend. Uh, if the thrift wants more capital later, it can sell some or all of the rest of the MHC shares to its members and become 100% shareholder owned. And in doing so, the capital raise would lead to an excessively cap- well-capitalized company. Um, some companies, some banks, some thrifts basically take that first step and then do a second step later on um, or required. Uh, in this case, what TFS did in 2007 was to sell that minority stake and then keep the remaining content in the mutual holding structure. And eventually, like there's there's the hope it demutualizes the rest of the way down the road. Uh, the CEO Mark Stefanski here has said he's going to leave that decision for the next generation of uh, Stefanski's running this business. Uh, he is 68 years old. His daughter is vice chairperson. So. Might, you know, you can call her a Nepo baby, I suppose, but maybe, maybe she makes the decision down the road. So basically, what you have here when, when they demutualized part way is they sold about a third of the shares, 31%, 32%. Okay. Which then meant inside the MHC, there was 68, 69% of the shares outstanding were in that mutual structure that aren't really issued but they're there you're with me so far cool we follow okay brett's nodding but you look like you want to ask well
2: i yeah so okay here's the confusion is it dilute how dilutive is it if they get like become a whatever a normal bank or a well, normal well, publicly not, traded right? okay it's not not okay. at all
1: well because you know I, I it's not like a preferred
2: price. it's not like a preferred stock that no okay no okay. if if they were to issue the
1: rest of the shares and by the way so yes they did uh, i've just checked my notes here they raised about a billion in capital in that first step of demutualization in 2007 raised about a billion dollars by selling a 32% stake so 32% of the shares go out 68% stay in the MHC Today, 81% of the shares are in the MHC and only 19% of the shares are outstanding. Okay. So how does, how, how did that work? Are they just buying no, they, back? They, Is it... they, they, they bought back a ton of okay. stock. Yeah. Yeah. They, they bought back over, I think over 50% of the shares that were initially or close to 50%. Uh, but there, of course, they're equity cookies that people get, you know, incentive stock and whatever all the way. But yeah, no, they, they bought back a ton of stock.
0: So those just end up being designated back to the mutual holding company.
1: Oh, no. The ones they buy back get canceled. Okay. All
0: right. Yeah, they're gone. That makes they're more gone. sense. They're gone. They're gone. Um, okay.
1: So here's TFS. They're newly public. Sort of, kind of. They're newly public in 2007. Um, and they're 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 a plain vanilla homelander mainly in Cleveland and, and surrounding areas of Ohio. They're they're kind of now really spread across Ohio now. They also have um, uh, they also have uh, operations, smaller operations. Their second largest operation in their state is uh, is Florida. Uh, they have some stuff in uh, California, uh, but you know, basically the lion's share is Ohio and Florida. Um, so everything's great, right? Okay. Something happened to the housing market in 08, something. And the, they didn't get in trouble the way some of their peers did giving mortgages to anything with a pulse, but they did kind of loosen some of their underwriting. And, you know, there was some programs that one of them was called home today, uh, that applied. And this is a direct quote. Less stringent underwriting and credit risk standards. Exactly what you want to hear from a lender, right? <laughs> oh, sure, thank you. Yes, give give easy credit to people who can't pay you back. Fantastic. Um, now, the total for the Home Today program was about one, one and a half percent of the loan, loan book at the time. Most were protected by mortgage insurance, okay? Uh, that's great until the company who gives and mortgage insurance, they go out of business because, you know, home implosions, um, oh eight, oh nine. Um, and as well, you know, they 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 did kind of try to alter their credit, uh the credit score requirements, but you know, they there's some damage. And so uh they'd also been a little too more little, little too generous uh providing second mortgages and mortgages and HELOCs uh, during the housing market run up of of you know the the mid 2000s. Um and so these things all together basically caught the attention of the regulator. And the regulator, uh, in response, issued several what are called memoranda of understanding, MOUs, basically demanding things like a review of potential overexposure to home equity loans, uh, risk management procedures for managing interest rate risk, uh, management compensation. Uh, but importantly, under the MOUs, TFS is barred. For four years, mid twenty ten through to mid twenty fourteen, they are barred from paying dividends or buying back its own stock. Okay, so you're done until you can demonstrate that your house—no pun intended—your house is in order. Um, again, they—they they weren't, frankly, they weren't anywhere near as bad as a lot of the other companies out there. Um, but the other companies that were worse, a lot of them are no longer with us, you know. Um, and because it's a regulator, when the regulator is telling you thou shalt do this or that, um, regulators don't tend to move terribly quickly. Uh, they they have no incentive to move terribly quickly, right? Uh, so this was, you know, even though they cl- they cleaned up everything, what they needed to do, and like for example that uh, that uh, Home Today program um, in uh, fiscal they have a September fiscal year, so uh, fiscal t- 2007 is the year. The 12 months ended in September of uh, of 2007. Um, at the end of fiscal 2007, so kind of right at the peak of uh, you know before the mortgage market rolls over, uh, the Home Today program uh, made up 3.7 percent of the 8.2 billion dollar loan portfolio. 3.7%. Uh, for comparison purposes, and, and there has not been a, there, there's not been a, a, um, a home today loan written under that program, written by this company since 2009. And today it is 0.35%. It's about $50 million. Yeah, so it's one sixth of what was around in, in fiscal 07. Uh, it's about 0.35% of, I think it's about a 14. I think it's about a 14.5, 14.6 billion dollar. Uh, um looking it up now, uh 14.56 billion dollar loan portfolio. So this is a rounding error basically at this point. Even if they're all zeros, who cares? And they're not even remotely zeros. So but anyway, they have this four year period. They are not allowed to pay um they're not allowed to pay um dividends. They're not allowed to buy back their own stock. But you know they 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 clean up what they have on the books. Uh they they shore up the portfolio against interest rate risk and they diversify geographically that they really um in um again in, in fiscal 08, I think Ohio was was close to three quarters of their lending. Uh today it's about 53 percent. Florida was about 20 percent. Florida is actually today about 18. percent so it's actually lower because they've expanded in other areas. So just you know, get a little geographic diversification going on. Um and 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 they they made sure that they kind of tried to address some of the interest rate risk in case interest rates went up. I mean, I know it's a quaint notion, but you know sometimes they do go up. Um, and so, um, basically, they. Uh, I, I think they i'm trying to look here at my numbers here uh about a third about a third of the their loans in 07 or like right before the things go boom about a third of their loans were in variable rates or adjustable rate mortgages or just very like a HELOC which just floats with rate rate changes in real time. Um today I think it's about 52 or 53 percent is in these adjustable rate products. So and and TFS throughout this period. So now we're kind of getting into the mid teens, twenty teens, and you know TFS is really you know we're like oh, going to lift the MOUs, like you know let's be nice, and and, and they're really signaling we are going to w- you know we are going to return capital. We've been barred from returning capital, shareholders for four years. We're we're going to party when when these MOUs come off, right? We're going to go, and so it was, uh, and that happens in mid twenty fourteen. And they immediately come out with a twenty eight cent per share annual dividend and an aggressive buyback uh, so twenty eight cents in 2014 uh by the way, today the dividend is a dollar thirteen okay uh the yield on this thing is about nine point four percent that's
2: and, today and on, that, on that's, that's,
1: that that's that's today oh. the, t- today the yield is nine point four percent which I, do you remember that part at the very start where I said someone has this really wrong, and it might be me um Nine point four percent is the market screaming at you. This dividend is going to get cut, right? That's, I mean, that's let's 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 not an earnings them.
0: yield at 10, uh, at ten percent is considered like you know people look at that and say it's this is dirt cheap. So when it's a it dividend, yeah,
2: yeah, especially and earnings at ten times, people are saying they think that the earnings are going to go down.
1: Yeah, there, there there is no good story tied here. People people are not people don't think, in, and and they haven't for a while with this with this bank that uh, um, uh, CEO Stefanski. Um, I'm going to paraphrase what did he say uh, every every press release or maybe maybe he doesn't do it anymore, but he used to every press release he would like it's sunshine and blue skies for TFS Financial. Um, I don't know if he still does that but he used to a lot and uh, i'm just here to say uh the world does not look at tfs financial and, and see sunshine and blue skies right now um but i'm not sure i'm not sure the market's right either to be honest with you anyway so 2014 happens dividend comes back and it's been aggressively raised buyback comes back it's been aggressively raised ryan to your earlier question that's how you get from 32% of the shares start out as being in, uh, publicly traded, then uh, after the demutualization, to just shy of 19 or around 19 today. Um, they have, you know, they've really kind of stuck to their stuck to their knitting. The delinquency on the portfolio. I mean, they've they've stuck to plain vanilla mortgage lending and home house lending primarily. Um, I had really quick numbers here, um, like 80. Eighty over eighty percent of their loans are their core residential mortgage offerings. Uh, about eighteen and a half percent are HELOCs or lines of credit. Um, again, I mentioned that that one product, the Home Today stuff, that got them in trouble to tw- circa 2010. That's a rounding error. Uh, they have some small construction loan exposure, less than one percent. I mean, they have really stuck to their knitting, and they are they have a delinquency rate super low. Like they look like 85 years. They, they look like what a bank with 85 years of experience of just doing very plain vanilla lending. That's, that's what this looks like. Okay. So, okay. So now when we, you know, we've covered the demutualization, we've covered, uh, you know, the, the history here, we, we get to today and Silicon Valley Bank did no one any favors. Like this was a fourteen fifteen dollar stock um earlier in q one. They just reported uh we're recording this on friday the' twenty eighth uh they they reported earnings last night, and uh, the market didn't particularly enjoy them, but whatever um I, I mean, they were cheap before, they're cheap now, so whatever um but you know the the fear when Silicon Valley Bank goes down is that. You know, deposit flight from all but the so-called too big to fail institutions will will kill every bank eventually, and then eventually you get the Canadian banking sector where you know you have six big banks and really nobody else.
0: The contagion um, concerns
1: exactly. Like you know, it's like you know, backstop all depositors, and and you know, I, I I can see the argument. I I understand that. I I I don't happen to think that that's likely. Uh, but Silicon Valley bank kind of spooked people and signature and, you know, first Republic looks like it's circling the bowl as we speak. So, um, you know, what do you Hey, do?
2: 34, percent dividend yield I saw today on first Republic. So yeah, that's I a the great example of That's <laughs> a great example of that. Uh, well, so, you know, yeah. when
1: they, when they cut all of their preferred dividend yields to zero and said, yeah. Oh, and by the way, these aren't cumulative. So you guys are out of luck. Um, that 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 would be First Republic pools or folks, sorry, force a habit. Um, and uh, you know, yeah, that that was probably. I know there were people who were excited to get back into First Republic for Bargain Hunter at sixteen dollars, but uh, you know, I was like, eh, with all due respect, you should stay on the sidelines. I'd like to say uh, you should run to or you should teach yourself to run towards fires because as a value investor, that's that's interesting to me. Uh, but don't run towards all fires. You know, some fires will kill you, and uh, First Republic was very much. And, and also, I had same question. Uh, Bed Bath and Beyond. Oh, is this a fire worth running to? No, no, it isn't. Um,
0: anyway, and so fires in the see- financial sector, especially when a fire can spread.
1: Well, it, exactly. And and look, I mean, um, there are some really. There's a really good history, just to kind of maybe take it back for a bit. Um, I, I alluded to the Canadian banking sector. Uh, for those who don't know, I am a Canadian. Uh, which you know, I suppose you should probably have figured that out since I run Hidden Gems Canada. Um, uh, proud Canadian, stressed out Maple Leafs fan. Um, our banking sector, the whole thing is too big to fail. Right. It's it just, you know, it's highly, highly regulated. They're incredibly diverse. They're, they're mortgages, their personal loans, their lines of credit, their investment banking, they are insurance products, they are wealth management, they are investing, you know, crap mutual funds. I mean, they're incredibly broad businesses. Uh, they A bunch of them have been around since before Canada was literally a country. They predate Canada Confederation 1867. So a couple of them, I think, have paid dividends longer than Canada has been a country. Um, But during the 2008 2009 crisis, uh, they got just pummeled, just like everything else financial did, right? And uh, I was. On record at the time as saying Canadian banks do not cut their dividends. Canadian banks do not, uh, you know, the, the, the government will backstop them. The regular, they're, they're, they're better off than a lot of the other banks, which are, don't, didn't have their exposure. They're certainly better off than Lehman or, or Bear Stearns or whomever, um, who focused, of course, on investment banking and had worse leverage. But I said, Canadian banks don't cut their dividends. They will raise capital before they will cut their dividends and they will survive and they will grow. And. At the time, you know, but that didn't, I mean, you saw like you had Bank of Montreal trading at an 11 or 12% dividend yield. You had a couple, I think you had the, most of the rest of them over eight or 9% dividend yield. Um, if you just bought a basket of the Canadian banks so when it looked the worst, I think, uh, I think your app, av- I think your annualized return, including dividend reinvestments, well north of 15%. Probably beating the, the, the total return index over that same period of time by a good five or six percentage points a year. Um, so running towards fires is a good thing. And, and, and so the question I've been asking myself, I, I'm saying, okay, TFS is, you know, is a fire. Okay. Uh, like I said I've owned it for a while myself personally, but this is this they are on fire today, but I don't think it's warranted or I'm not sure it's warranted. And again, with my fair dues warning at the start. I might be wrong, but um, and so let me let me see if I can let me see if I can justify that uh, perhaps stupid uh, commentary. Um, so first off, go back to the valuation argument. So once you realize that the the mhc unissued shares which are counted in the pe ratio and the the bank uh, the, the book value ratio um those aren't real you get to what you were asking about earlier guys the the the, the minority shares minority value per share the, that's what matters and what matters is so there's there's 280 just over 280 million shares Outstanding for this, but 227 plus million of them are held by the MHC, so we ignore those. So the actual share count outstanding is about 53.2 million. And when you divide the earnings and the book value by that, and apply it to the current stock price, you get a stock that's trading at about just over eight, 8.3, 8.4 times earnings, and a price to book of for the for the the minority shares, price to book of 0.35 times, okay? Um, And I've got handy, I've got myself a nice little price chart of what that the valuation has been. And if I tell you that that 0.35 times, that is the lowest valuation on record. The average valuation is about 0.6 times book value. But this 0.35 is lower than the four years when they were under MOU restriction—no dividends, no buyback. It is lower than the pandemic drawdown in the first quarter of 2020, when the world was ending. You know, you guys might remember the world actually did not, in fact, end. Um, It is the lowest on on, in history. So that's an interesting signal, I think. And again, these are all things are signals to me. and okay, well, the the fear associated with Silicon Valley Bank of course is that it was deposit flight and all the big all the big tech guys, you know, had many 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 multiples of their deposits north of the $250,000 FDIC guarantee deposited there and like, oh crap and you know, pull it out. I don't know if I can curse on this show, so I'll I'll keep it clean. Um And so, well, again, remember here, this is a little bit of a different beast here, a little bit of a different beast. And the depositors are are also the owners of those MHC shares, right? So there's a little bit, um, but, and maybe I should pull up the actual spreadsheet because I'm looking at uh, from last quarter's notes. They did report last night. So so this is a company that is the bank that has about 16.2, 16.3 billion in total assets. Of those assets, 14.3 6ish just shy of 14.6 are, are, loans, are our loans or mortgage the vast majority of which like almost all of them are mortgage loans uh, the plain vanilla stuff that they do um, so what is financing the loans and what is financing the loans so about again 14.5 14.6 in in loans that's that's really the the key meat here uh, backstopping that is just a, t- a hair over nine billion in deposits. Uh, so checking accounts, savings accounts, certificates of deposit, uh, you know, brokered or otherwise.
0: I'll kind of I'll, I'll hold it there. Do yeah. you, I guess? What do you think of these depositors? I mean, it's just mostly just people in Cleveland and all over yeah. and in Florida. Are-
1: yeah, like like like. I'm, I'm going to guess that you're not shopping from, say, Austin, Texas, or uh, Milwaukee, Wisconsin, or Portland, Oregon, looking for an extra few basis points on a CD. And, oh, I found one in TFS. Like, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to guess it's mainly local or relatively local. And they kind of talk a little bit about that. But, you know, they, they are very much about, oh, yeah, we've raised deposits from our local neighborhoods to then go out into the world uh, and provide these same people mortgages and what have you. So nine billion deposits, and about five as of last night, 5.2 with, with the the just released um, earnings report, uh, 5.2 billion in borrowings, mainly from the FHLB, right? So the FHLB, the uh, federal Federal Home Loan bank, if you will. Um, so that is a system chartered during the Great Depression with a mission to basically provide financial institutions with products and services to assist in the financing of homes. So banks like TFS buy equity in the FHL, FHLB system and then get access to liquidity through loans and advances. They're secured by TFS's investment in FHLB's equity as well as a blanket pledge of its mortgage portfolio. Okay. So I was a little concerned. I I I I think if you are uh, looking at bank stocks during this time, given what's happened with Silicon Valley Bank and given what's happened with FI uh with First Republic, I, I think you have to the first question I think has to be, are these deposits safe? Like I, I think you have to be asking that question. Um and so I asked that question. Well, the and 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 actually i took some comfort from last night's earnings report when i saw that the the deposit base at the end of december so the end of 2022 was 9.014 billion okay so 9 billion and 14 million and then just reported last night for the quarter ended March. So, you know, uh, March 2023. So now we are now, uh, you know, Silicon Valley Bank, for those who don't remember, uh, it, it, it went boom on March 10th. Um, so this is right in the teeth of it. Uh, a lot of the banks that I follow and look at, uh, they bottomed out on March 24th. So this is as of March 31st. Uh, deposits shrank from 9.014 billion to 9.003 billion,
0: $11 million. And it's at a time when people can earn more on the cash i mean there's there's withdrawals coming out of all sorts of banks. It's, it doesn't necessarily exactly. mean people are flooding
2: out let me yeah, let me lead into that next question we have then is and I think a lot of people have this on their minds. You and anyone that's not an expert in financials knows that interest rates affect banks. How has the trend in interest rates impacted them over the last year, and what do you do you think that sets them up? do you like are they under earning right now or are they over earning? Uh, I'm glad they don't have exposure to commercial real estate. And if they do, maybe let us know, but uh, interest rates, how is that affecting them and what could it mean for the next few years?
1: Yeah, I'm looking for my, uh, so this, uh, the most recent, I thought I had that, there
2: we go. Um,
1: so this, this recent, um, most recent earnings report. Um, so because of the speed, of interest rate hikes, right—the fastest ever—that um, is hurting a lot of banks. I think it's hurting all banks. Uh, it, it, it was most pronounced at Silicon Valley Bank because they had themselves billions of dollars. I think ninety odd billion in face value or or purported value—ninety odd billion of um, of—and um, I, I promise I'm going to get CFS, but they had ninety odd billion of held to maturity. Long dated, um, low interest paying mortgage securities essentially that they couldn't sell, which had a value. I think it had like a something like a 16 billion dollar, you know, mark to market loss, but because they weren't selling it because they called it health and maturity, they didn't have to take that loss. But the 16 billion dollar quotational loss is interesting because that's basically also equal to what their, what their equity was. Uh, you know, so you know, if they sold one of them, they have to remark the book, and then we call that, you know, the the word we use is insolvent, um, which is not a good word for banks. Um, so, with TFS here, um, they are not unaware of interest rate risk, and the risk there is they've got a bunch of mortgages issued previously during the time of zero interest rates. And but you know to keep competitive, they now have to pay a higher rate an ever higher rate on what they what they are um what they're what they're taking in from depositors uh you know and and look again, they got about they're getting other their fourteen plus billion in um funding nine billion of its depositors, five point three is from the f h l b uh that that is uh they've got that swapped out with an interest rate swap so that's largely fixed so they should be good there uh, uh fhlb reasons.
0: yeah so FHLB. Okay. Did,
1: I, did i transpose some of those no no, no i was uh, just making
0: sure that like yeah they, they swap guess.
1: they swap out their interest rate risk where they can uh you, you you can't really do it when you're borrowing from you know or i you know i've got i've got ten thousand dollars in a checking account and whatever like i'm not gonna uh, they're they're not gonna they're not gonna swap out on on individual accounts, but they do they do make some use of swaps for interest rate management purposes. But right. but but it, you know Brett to your point it, it is getting a little crimped here. So the um uh, the the most recent quarter or uh the for the first quarter of um the first quarter of this fiscal year, fiscal twenty three, um Interest on earning assets was 3.6%, interest on liabilities was 1.85%, so the interest rate spread was 1.75%, the net interest margin was about 1.95%. Uh, this latest quarter, they've just, they've just brought out interest on earning assets, 379 so it's up about, it's up about almost 20 basis points. But on the interest earning liabilities at 223 it's up uh, over 40, or almost 40, sorry, 38 basis points um so the interest rate spread has fallen from 1.75 to 1.56 the net interest margin has fallen from 1.95 to 1.78 so there has been an impact from the the rapid interest rates hikes uh this and this may in fact get worse in the next few quarters it may not uh but but what they have again is is uh, to combat that so first off, any new any new lending they're doing, especially of a fixed rate mortgage, obviously those any new lending is now at higher rates. We understand that rates have gone up, so you know the the days of the you know the two point five percent mortgage are probably done for a while. Uh, the other thing is of their loan book, as mentioned, about fifty two percent, just I think it's just slightly over forty eight percent, is in fixed rate loans. So if we loaned out uh, super low. But also there's, there's 15 and 20 year loans on the books here, right? From, from previously issued. There. So those are much higher, but the, the stuff, the stuff that they lent out at super low rates, that's just got to, it's got to work its way through. And those are paying what they're paying. Probably not a lot of people refinancing their mortgages right now but yet the depositors and, and the borrowings, those rates are going up. So that, that's going to pinch a little bit and it has been pinching a little bit. I think an all-time low valuation in the history of the company is public. I think that's probably factored in a little bit, but whatever. Um, and so the other thing, though, is 52% of their loan book is variable or adjustable rate mortgages. So the variable stuff is just floating as so rates have been going up now, those have been going up now, period, full stop um adjustable rate mortgages there's a certain amount i think they pretty much all adjust over the next five years. I don't have that open really quickly i don't think um yeah I'd probably just be guessing but here i'll i'll do a i'll do a search for arms just for fun um yeah okay so as of there we go uh as of the end of fiscal twenty twenty two so the 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 year ended um september thirtieth twenty twenty two um the the uh, adjustable rate mortgages. So again, not the variable stuff. The, just the adjustable rate mortgages made up a total of 4.7 billion of the of the of the loan book, uh, which is I think ballpark just over a third. Um, most of that resets in most of that resets in the in 25, 2025 through twenty twenty seven. So you're gonna have to live with some of that. But when they reset, they might be significantly higher if interest rates keep going higher. Or if you believe some pundits who say, you know, it's gonna flatline. Canada has already flatlined their interest. We've plateaued our earnings rate or interest rate hikes. Uh I know you guys are still going, but I suspect you might follow our lead at some point. Um so so that's gonna that that that's gonna, you know eventually tamped down. And of, course, and of course, the pace of increases is greatly slowed. Uh, and that's all we really kind of ass. Like the, it's hard to work your way through. Um, I think I'm roughly right, but precisely wrong. Like, I think, I think the, the Fed funds rate went from what, 25 basis points to 4.5% in, in the span of a year. Like that's that, ch- yeah. like I think I'm pretty close, right? Like that is going to throw some, like that is going to hurt
0: yeah, and I was listening to an interview the other day where it's like, who knows if it's going to just like stay flat? But I think because of the banking collapses as of late, it may have forced the Fed's hand to have to keep it and oh, not keep raising it.
2: Yeah.
0: I guess my uh, it, so I guess for context for listeners, nine percent of home loans in the U.S. are adjustable rate mortgages. So it's 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 surprising i guess to me that fsl has 50% in either basically variable or adjustable is that i mean am i wrong here or is that common like
1: well it, it, it's it's funny you put it that way because as a canadian with a radically different mortgage system where all of our mortgages are adjustable we like uh, a standard mortgage it's just a standard you you go out and buy your first house you take a 25 year amortization Okay. And, and, and what's called, and, and then you have a term. So you'll generally the most common is a five-year term. So you know what you're going to pay for five years, but at the end of those five years, you have to go and reshop your mortgage. And if interest rates have gone up, you're going to be paying more. And if interest rates have gone down, you're going to be paying less. Right. But for us, like, you know, you're saying there, oh, this is, this is kind of strange. Uh, I, I would humbly submit to you, to my American friends that uh, you guys don't know how good you got it. The rest of the world deals with this all the time. No, yeah. this me, <laughs> but no, this, this doesn't, that, that's not what bothers me. There are some things that bother me. Um, no, but I actually think it's prudent. That they have about 40% in, in ARMs and then an, another chunk in, you know, well, cause the variable stuff is HELOCs, right? Like, I mean, like I've got like on, on my house here, you know, I have a HELOC against my house. So if I, if I, if I needed to buy a car, I could just, you know, strike a check from the HELOC and there's my car. Um, but like the HELOC is 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 tied to prime plus a plus a slight premium, which I don't remember because it's been so long since we've used it. But let's say it's let's say it's prime plus one percent. Well, when when the prime rate was you know flirting with zero, uh, you know we might have been paying I don't know two and a half percent for the HELOC. But today, uh, you know, if we t- if we borrow it against it, we might be paying eight percent on it, right? And and that. You know, and, and and there are people who live on their HELOCs who live for years, and also too. I don't know if this is the case in the U.S. I can tell you it's the case in Canada. A lot of HELOCs are um, their interest only, so so you can borrow against your HELOC and then never pay it back. You can just you know just as long as you're making the interest payment. But if you borrowed at two and a half and now the interest rate's gone to eight and a half, uh, uh, you've you've probably cut down on your uh, on your fine dining experience outside because you know you're paying that much more for your housing costs. Um, And there's a whole other subset argument we could talk about financial planning prudence. But um, no, that doesn't bother me at all. In fact, I actually think it's prudent to have that type of exposure um, so you can uh, not get hurt by a bunch of people took out 30-year mortgages at 2.5%, and now a comparable mortgage might be, say, 6.5%. And right. uh, a deposit might be demanding four percent. Like you know, there's there's not a bank in the world that can make uh, lending at two and a half and paying at four and a half. There's not a bank in
0: the world will make that math work. So, yeah, it's it, and I guess because it, maybe it's sometimes hard to follow the interest rate talk as a listener. But it's
1: yeah, sorry <laughs> because they have
0: so much, so much of their loan book that's variable or adjustable they're able to raise what they earn much quicker than someone who has a bunch of fixed rate debt. That doesn't necessarily have to be mortgages. I mean, in Silicon Valley's bank's case, it was, I think it was mostly like longer term treasuries or something like that that they kind of sell. So, um,
1: Uh, they were, they were, um, I think they were Fannie and Freddie, uh, mortgage backed securities.
0: Oh, they were MBS.
1: Okay. Yeah. They were, I mean, and they were like one and a half percent in a world where, you know, your deposits were demanding three, like that's right. (laughs) <laughs> that ain't gonna work, guys
0: <laughs> so I guess ultimately, this is a bank that could see some interest margin compression um already potentially is. in the short term is
1: i would say i would say already is yeah
0: do you think there's any chance that they end up cutting this dividend or shrinking it
1: there is um i think I think you have to always accept that that's a possibility um and I think that the way the stock price has been acting the last year or so, I think that I think the yeah I think the market suspects it's going to go away. Um, the funny thing is, they're like uh, on the remember they don't pay the dividend to the mutual association the MHC shares. They only pay it on the publicly issued shares. Um, still their payout ratio is still less than one, like still less than one hundred percent. Um, so so that's uh, that's interesting. Um and again I I as, as I've tried to go through we haven't even talked about how well capitalized this bank is right uh but but I I've, I've tried to go through um and, and 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 at the fool we are the analysts at the fool were generalists so we don't have a dedicated specific uh tech analyst or banking analyst or retail analyst so so um I I would welcome input from banking analysts to uh, educate me on what I don't know um but I look here and I say, okay, I, I I'm reasonably comfortable with I'm reasonably comfortable with the deposit base. I'm reasonably comfortable with the loan book with the the split between the adjustable and the fixed and the variable and the fixed. Um, capitalization wise here, uh, you know, like they've got uh, uh, their their tier one capital tier one leverage ratio, of capital and net average assets is eleven point two seven percent. Uh, the rules are, you need to be 5% They're more than double what they need to be, uh, their total capital to risk weighted a- assets. They're at 20.64% the rules required to be at 10%. I mean, they're really well capitalized. And I mean, like, and that's why I say if they sold the rest of those MHC shares, even at the low price today at 0.35 times book value, they just decided to, oh, you know, the heck with it, just flood the balance sheet with money. Um, cause that you will, know, we'll, will survive then. Um like, I'm not sure what to do for you because, you know, so capitalization, I'm not worried about credit quality looks good. Um, interest rate, there is like, as you said, and we've talked about there's, there's some compression there, but, you know, I don't see how there wouldn't be in the world that we've just kind of lived through. And, and, and I don't want to drive with, you know, my eyes on the rearview view mirror. I want to, I want to I wanna believe that. I think I, my personal belief is, the going forward, interest rate hikes, if they happen, will be fairly muted and slow from here because I do think the Fed is scared. I can tell you the Canadian, uh, the Canadian central bank uh, was clearly scared, and they stopped a lot earlier. And it looks like they're being rewarded for it. Inflation in Canada, I think, I think we we fell about three percent or just over three percent in the last report. So you know, it's working. Um, I've also kind of been on record in various places saying, you know. Uh all the talk about a recession and what that's gonna uh, I'm not really not really buying the recession or at least the severity of a recession coming. So I'm not you know I'm not too worried there. So I'm trying to go through here and go, okay, so what I've been able what what my takeaway from this bank is is that everything looks it's a nice little boring savings and loan, plain vanilla mortgage lender focused in Ohio and Florida, good credit quality. Great capitalization ratios, the interest rate issues, probably. It's, it's, I, I think I get it, but it's, I think it's handleable. Um, I'm comfortable with the balance sheet, all time low valuation, approaching 10% dividend yield. One of us is wrong. And as I said, I, it might be me, but these, these are the things that I tick down and go, what am I missing?
0: It sounds like. If rates stay flat and the multiple doesn't change, investors are getting a nine percent return. Nine and a half, whatever, whatever the dividend is. And at least at least there's some comfort in knowing you don't need a multiple re-rating to do well here. You'll literally get the cash at nine, you know, on annual basis or quarterly basis. My I guess my question would be kind of upside-wise, have deposits been growing like is there the chance that this dividend grows over time
1: um well they, i think they've raised the dividend every since they brought it back at 28 cents in in 2014 i think they've raised it every year um now not all raises are equal of course uh i think they raised this year to a dollar 13 from a dollar 12 they might have they made a pause the raises during pandemic I, I don't have that sheet up in front of me and I'm not going to bother looking for it. You got to look them up. Um, you know, go, going from a dollar 12 to a dollar 13 just to say you raise the dividend, ah, eh, that doesn't impress me too much, but you know, but the fact is, you know, the, the dividend is as you say, still being paid. Um, I would probably and, and 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 I would probably want them in this present and market. Uh, the one thing as well just to sort out in Q2 and I'll kind of tie it into this here if I can is they have really pulled back on their, their lending. Now their, their first mortgage, which is the first mortgage loan portfolio, uh, which is of course, as I said, the, the lion's share of their, um, of their loan book, uh, average credit score of 761 seems pretty good. Uh, average loan to value of 66%. Uh, so, I mean, houses could literally fall by a third and, uh, the collateral, if you have to see that, you know, probably covers the loan. Um, but what was interesting uh, in the report from last night? Uh, new loan growth in the in, in new new mortgage loan growth was 87 million for the quarter and 306 million year to date. That compares to 453 million in the quarter a year ago. And six hundred and eighteen million year to date in the period a year ago. So, so they've cut year to date numbers by about half, and they've cut um, uh, they've they've cut uh, uh, in, in the most recent quarter they've cut lending by about uh, what is that four fifths eighty percent or so? That's like just ballpark. Them. Um, they're clearly seeing something and being really stringent on credit like that. That's, that's the only takeaway I can have there. Do
2: you think it's the affordability? I don't want to call it a crisis, potential crisis. Plus mortgage demand. Yeah. And maybe there's no mortgage demand out there. I think in the U S it's just dried up.
1: I, I think it's. I think it's probably a complex and nuanced answer. I can tell you what's going on here. Uh, so I live in southwestern Ontario. Uh, just think the, the the greater sprawl that is Toronto. Um, house prices here went stupid during the pandemic, and people clearly willing to blow their brains out, taking ever greater mortgages and just stuff that make me and my significant other, who is a chartered accountant, uh, yeah, so we're great fun at parties. Um, uh, just made up, may make us just. I mean, we have hives. And we think we hear some of these stories and see what's going on, but people are making it work. Um, during the 2022, things came down. House prices in Ontario, uh, across Canada, even, uh, even the, where we live, I think house prices were down 20 to 25%. But volume has just gone away because there's too expensive. So, you know, people and people don't want to, you know, if I've got a mortgage locked in sub 2%, and I have to get a new mortgage when I sell and a new mortgage be at 6% or 6.5%, why on earth am I going to sell, right? I'm not going to give up my 2% mortgage. Even in Canada, I'm not that dumb. Um, so it might be an affordability thing, but you know, now you're seeing in Canada where I am, it's ramping back up again. We're back, baby. And again, I don't think that's a great idea, but it's not my money, so it's fine. Um, so I, I think it's probably pretty nuanced, Ryan. I, I I can see it being an affordability issue, but I mean, like, I can also point you in that. Well, you guys know, John Rotanti is a good friend of mine. So, you know, Rotanti has been banging the, banging the drum on, um, on, uh, home builders and on, you know, the fact that, uh, the U S has been underbuilding for the better part of a decade and a half. And yet you've got household formation, you know, people are getting married. They want to buy a house. They're moving to places where they can buy a house. Um, there's not enough houses in your country or mine, and uh, so you'd think there should be more more demand. Um, so I I think it's I think it's a pretty nuanced, probably a pretty nuanced calculation, um, which is a fun way to say I really don't know, uh, but I do what I what I can say is, just by looking at the numbers, they pulled in hard in this quarter maybe there's not the demand there i don't know uh but they they are they still insisting on let me see if i got the right uh the right calc- or the right screen up here let's see um yeah like they're the 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 new loans they just did in this most recent quarter so again the the portfolio had an average credit score of 761 average loan to value of 66% what little loans they did this quarter, average FICO score 774, average loan to value 71%. Um, they, they are not hosing out high risk loans to high risk people here or high, high, high ratio loans to high risk people here. Um, which again makes me say, okay, are they dialing it back for a few quarters perhaps? Let's let some of the older stuff roll off the books, which is good. Um, and just trying to, just trying to, trying to let the banking market kind of calm down because as someone who was doing this professionally during the credit crisis, I tell you, boy, that was a scary ass time, but, uh, but it fades, you know, it fades, people forget. And then of course they go commit the same, they go commit the same problems that they had the last time. Uh, so I, I, uh, i am i am watching that i'm i am not thinking you're going to get a great capital return from here anytime soon so yeah the the dividend is probably all you're going to get for a while folks um but i also uh you know if if all of the positive and the conservative things that i think i see here uh i i don't know why this thing couldn't get back to a historical average level, say 0. 0.55, 0. 0.6 times uh, the book value, the the this, the you know the publicly traded book value and, and just for just for a comparison of that as I flip sheets yet again um you know like if, uh, 0.55 times book value you know would uh, hang on here would give you a $19 stock price you know stock price is 12 today. So, and then and then what? What if you got more? Like, what if it actually went higher than you know, higher than uh, just the long run average?
0: Yeah, multiple any multiple expansion would be kind of cherries on top uh, of already a pretty strong dividend. I think there's that there's also the upside
1: that maybe eventually they do go, go through with the second stage and go right to, uh, you wouldn't want to do it at this low price if you didn't have to. Um, or, you know, the, the US banking sector, what was there like 25 or 30,000 banks a century ago, and now there's 4,000? Like the, the, that, that num- the, the ones that are gone from that number went somewhere a lot of them were acquired and a lot of these small thrifts and whatever, they they do ultimately get acquired. Um, I can't see Stefanski selling at this low valuation, but it wouldn't, uh, it wouldn't shock me uh, to see this one eventually gobbled up by some, by a larger entity.
0: All right. I think that's all the questions we have. Unless do, do you think there's anything else to add or do you think we covered it well, Jim?
1: Uh, I, I hope I've, I hope I've covered it reasonably well. Uh, again, I welcome the banking analysts out there to come tell me what I'm missing. Um, uh, and, uh, you know, I, I, I hope this continues my streak of at least bringing interesting
0: names. Um, they've all been winners. They've all been winners. So, well, I'm, I'm going to try
1: to go against, you. <laughs> I'm going to try to take myself down, I guess.
0: Um, but we'll see. All right. Well, that is going to do it then. We want to remind listeners that Brett and I are not financial advisors. Anything we say or discuss here on Chit Chat Money is not formal advice or recommendation. We are, however, general partners at Arch Capital, so clients may have positions in the securities discussed in this podcast. Thank you all for listening. Thank you, Jim, for coming on again, and we'll see you all next time.